Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Detective Pikachu. Welcome to Rhyme City. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Tim, your dad was a legend in this precinct. If you were anything like your dad. I'm not. I remember. You wanted to be a Pokemon trainer when you were young. Yeah, that didn't really work out. Someone there? Whoever you are, I know how to use this. Oh, jeez. Here we go. I know. You can't understand me. But put down the stapler or I will electrocute you. Did you just talk? Whoa. Did you just understand me? Oh my god! You can understand me! Stop! I've been so lonely! They try to talk to me all the time. All they hear is Pika Pika. Uh, you can hear him, right? Pika Pika Pika, he's adorable. You're adorable. They can't understand me, kid. Can no one else hear him? I don't need a Pokemon, period. And what about a world-class detective? Because if you want to find your pops, I'm your best bet. We're gonna do this, you and me. Together, and that magic is called hope. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Yeah. So tell us what we want to know. Pipe. Yes, okay, I can. Shoving, pushing. My problem is that I push people away and then hate them for leaving. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Okay, that's it. No, we're switching roles. I'm bad cop. You're good cop. No, 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 no we're not cops. In my head, I saw that differently. Joining us are Mackenzie Easton, who guested on our Mary Poppins, Captain Marvel, and Avengers Endgame shows. Hello, Mackenzie. Uh, hello there. And for the first time on our show, Mackenzie's partner in crime on Video Game the Movie, the podcast, and the Rainbow Connection Muppet podcast, and her real-life fiancé, Nathan Bertram. Hello, Nathan. Hello. It's good to be here. A live-action Pokemon movie has been a long time coming. The franchise is now 22 years old. And it's almost frightening to think of how many movies, specifically how many bad ones, could have emerged over the span of that time. It's the lion's share of Guillermo del Toro's career. We've had five increasingly bad Pirates of the Caribbean movies. We've seen Spider-Man take off, plummet to Earth, and then rise again. Clooney, Bale, Affleck, and Arnett have all donned the Batsuit, with Robert Pattinson eyeing the tights as we speak. The Muppets, the Apes, DC, Rocky, and The Mummy rebooted twice each. Star Wars got two more trilogies. The X-Men have gone from their beginning to their end, as has Harry Potter. We've had seven Bond films and 22 Marvel films and 31, count them, live-action video game adaptations. Almost every one of them absolute rubbish. 
Maybe worth making a podcast on that subject. I imagine an early 2000s American live-action Pokemon movie, and I think the closest thing I can equate my best estimate of what the industry was capable of at the time and how seriously they took adapting the license is Scooby-Doo. Those two movies starring Matthew Lillard, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prinze Jr. and Linda Cardellini were made in 2002 and 2004. They are brightly coloured, disposable fluff with light character arcs here and there, okay comedy, weirdly accurate costumes, performances and setups, and some of the worst goddamn CG animals you will ever see in your life. James Gunn notably wrote both screenplays, and it's unclear while watching whether they're for children or for adults watching them ironically. They read today, especially when viewed in HD, like contemporary parodies of the party time early 2000s era, especially the first one penned and produced before the war on terror. They're now mostly forgotten, and that's probably what Pokemon would have been too, at best, until they rebooted it now. At worst, it would have been like the Dragon Ball Evolution live-action movie from 2009, a wretched, dreary affair made immediately after The Dark Knight, which, according to the gritty, dark, Taken-era rules, avoided camp to its extreme detriment considering the unendingly silly source material, and much like the last Airbender movie, thank you Shyamalan, released shortly after... They were demanding to be taken seriously way too hard, whilst delivering no depth or texture, but plenty of blue and orange glowy shit, and once again, utterly shoddy CG effects. Somehow Pokemon avoided both eras, even... Power Rangers couldn't manage that. The 2017 live-action film ended up with the fun of Scooby-Doo, but the aesthetics of Man of Steel by way of Transformers, which wasn't a good fit and failed to delight either long-time Ranger heads or new kids, despite Sharon and I really liking it. I wouldn't say it's as fun as Scooby-Doo, but it's fun. Mm. It just looks wrong because everything's all desaturated. Yeah, I am also a fan of that film, oh, cool. so we're in good company. Now, notably, of those 31 video game movies, nearly all of them have been action sci-fi with or without horror elements. Nearly all of them have had terrible scripts, gun-toting women, feeble forgettable antagonists, and damp squib endings. They all seem to be aimed at teenage boys with low bars of quality and not much to do with an hour and 41 minutes of their time, which, let's face it, would be better spent playing the very games these pretend films are based on. All the kid-friendly fare, like Ratchet and Clank and Angry Birds, has been animated. The only live-action video game adaptation that even comes close to Detective Pikachu in terms of family appeal, question mark, is Super Mario Brothers in 1993, and that had something that many of the early installments of this type of movie had. Sheer embarrassment at being handed this loopy, absurd concept, which, on its journey to the big screen, gets thrown out in favour of some hastily written, equally bizarre storyline, which somehow makes less sense because it raises more questions. I think We Hate Movies says, Double Dragon is about a woman who gets punched in the gut and kidnapped, and then two dudes beat up everyone. Somehow they went, nah, we don't need any of that for the Double Dragon movie, and made up a bunch of horse shit! About a medallion and demons and the end of the world and post-earthquake LA and green water that makes your hair fall out and Robert Patrick cringing his way through. Double Dragon co-starred Mark Dacascus, whom you might remember from John Wick 3. And for his twin brother, the obvious natural choice would be Scott Wolf, keeper of the medallion that will destroy the world. 
He throws it away, and this thing stops in midair. Very crappy effects. Oh, yeah. yeah. You had a temper tantrum, mm-hmm. and yep. you threw away the world. All those times I tried to rub it on my crotch, it never worked. <laughs> Not once. And if it doesn't work with my dick, I don't want it. Get it away. Scott Wolf. He's such a little stinker in this movie. He really sucks. sucks. He fucking sucks so bad. And they've, they're playing that uh, terrible 90s song, Back to the Rhythm and Around Again. I'm, I'm going to make it till the end. 100%. Pure, pure love. Oh, fuck that song, <laughs> man. <laughs> it's, it belongs in Double Dragon. <laughs> it really belongs in Double it Dragon. It belongs safely locked away in the 1990s. <laughs> like, that's where that song belongs. That's like one of those songs that almost makes your ironic 90s mix. And they're like, I don't want to listen to this. <laughs> like, I already have CNC Music Factory. Why do I need <laughs> to fucking do it? And CNC is way oh, superior. Yeah. Absolutely. And that isn't Detective Pikachu at all. It's not embarrassed to be Pokemon, and we're going to talk about it now. Because, at least to Sharon and I, this is the best video game adaptation so far, and way ahead of the rest. We're talking here in terms of how good Iron Man felt in 2008. Only imagine things like Spider-Man 2 were only as good as Rampage, and Batman Returns was only as good as Mortal Kombat, and Batman Begins just plain didn't exist. This is a rare Pokemon, indeed. Legendary, even. Technically, Pokemon isn't a video game. It's a multimedia franchise and has been from the beginning, incorporating the Game Boy and later DS and 3DS and iPhone and Switch video games, the ongoing trading card game, many seasons of the animated series, and their 21 spin-off animated movies, plus more toys than you could fit into a now derelict Toys R Us. However... This movie is still an adaptation of a specific video game. Whilst everyone has at least heard of Pokemon, whether they like it or not, not many people will have heard of Detective Pikachu on 3DS, which features a talking Pikachu and his new human buddy Tim as they search crime scenes for clues to a bigger mystery. So, first question to the group. Why was this pretty much the ideal choice of adaptation in the end? Uh, one of the most obvious things I could say about it is that it has a Pikachu, which is the main mascot, but it lets it talk without having anybody have to feel weird about Ash's Pikachu from the anime suddenly talking to you, which is just dynamite for marketing because they already have mascotted this character so much. Everybody knows what a Pikachu looks like at the very least. So when one's doing fun comedy bits as Ryan Reynolds, people are going to at least pay some attention. Having the Detective Pikachu game as a framework, which they obviously brought other elements into... Yeah, it's very loosely based on Yeah, was a very sensible choice over doing the classic, Ash wants to be a Pokemon trainer, and Ash is going to leave Palatown. Not just a Pokemon trainer. He wants to be the very best. Like, honestly, like no one ever was. Because here's the thing. Either you know that story, or you don't care. <laughs> it lets you bring in all of these elements from the Pokemon world, but in a way that's really friendly to newcomers. Like, you don't need to know all of the lore behind the Pokemon world to jump into Detective Pikachu. It's a familiar enough uh, type of story that you can go in blind and still really enjoy it. But then on top of that, you get to see this world established and probably laying the groundwork for future movies, which, you know, I would be really excited for. The other major thing that I could think of is that it has a main character that is a character with 
you know, motivations and like a personality outside of like slate player character. Tim Goodman in the games is not an interesting person, but he's at least not Ash Ketchum. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> Ash is not a good character. And Tim really isn't in the games either. But Tim Goodman in Pokemon Detective Pikachu, the movie, is a good character and very likable. And that does a lot for this movie. If they tried to do a literal Ash, it's too big a story, for for starters. This is a self-contained little one-off thing. Uh, the Iron Man thing makes perfect sense. If they'd tried to go in there with a Pokemon Avengers straight mm. off, yeah. it would have been too much too soon. And the parallels with the beginning of the MCU hold up. The original Iron Man is not really about world building. Not like Iron Man 2 was in too many places. The version Sharon and I saw at the cinema in May 2008 didn't even have the Nick Fury cameo at the end because it was the press screening. So technically ours didn't even hint at a wider universe. So it's really refreshing for this enormous world to not be pitching sequels at you at the end. Uh, watching Pokemon the first movie the other day, which you can listen to the quick review on uh, Patreon, it, it, it's overwhelming for grown-ups. You've got all these like little dudes like turning up and going, Bobasar! Nidoran! Squidle! 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 Char! Char! And it launches you straight into the action, fully expecting you to have seen 30 episodes of Pokemon Indigo League. So much stuff going on, whilst nothing seems to be happening. It's a, it's a weird contradiction. They've crafted a world in which Pokemon are a given, and because everybody in the world behaves in a way towards them that just accepts them and they're just a part of this world, the audience accepts them. Mm. But it's not focused on the wide range of Pokemon to the point where you actually feel like you're supposed to be remembering what they all are. It's also not focused on catching and trapping them. No. I was going to say that, which is an issue the Pokemon franchise has been having since its inception is dealing with the balance of the core mechanic of this is catching and fighting Pokemon, but also they're supposed to be your best friends, and it kind of looks like dog fighting, and they do fine with that in the games by having a lot of dialogue about it, clear mechanics about them liking you, hmm. but in a movie that would just be, I think... It would be too much to start with. I think they do a good job in Detective Pikachu of laying the groundwork of how that would work in a way that is not going to read really bad. Yeah. But maybe animal abuse in the movie wouldn't be a great start for a franchise. <laughs> it wouldn't be fantastic, yeah. would it? It would be kind of like trying to do Star Wars for the first time now and going, check out these guys. They're stormtroopers. They're kind of like space Nazis. Aren't they cool? Do you want toys of them? Um, maybe not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play you a relevant clip from our Pokemon the First movie quick review here. Uh, and uh, he forces these uh, Pokemon to fight in uh, a way which is outlined as unpleasant by the uh, trainers. They're like, Pokemon shouldn't have to fight. Not like this. Not like this. Within the fiction of Pokemon, Pokemon seem to enjoy being set against each other in non-fatal fights to the full. If a Pokemon ever isn't happy to fight, it's clear in the show that it's being mistreated. Now, in real life, obviously, that's not how animals work. And what you're talking about there is underground dogfighting rings. But within the world of Pokemon, Pokemon themselves are intelligent enough to recognize this as a challenge with their trainer. And they work together. So really, the difference between the way the Pokemon are being forced to fight here and the way they are normally is the difference between the Olympics and war. 
I think as well that's another element where it was a good idea to have the talking in particular the fact that Pikachu can also communicate with other Pokemon because you get the Pokemon's perspective you're not just having to take the human's word for it that they all they really enjoy doing all of this fighting you know they they that's a good point you know you actually get the fact that Pikachu goes in there voluntarily, then changes his mind, and it's it's all played for yeah. laughs. He's but effectively a translator. Yeah. He's, he's the, the midpoint in between. Indeed. He gives you both some, some insight into the, the Pokemon mindset. And having Mewtwo being a psychic Pokemon as well adds a thread to that. Mm. You get someone much older and wiser and more powerful with a more of a, a, an overview on mm. that. You also see with Mewtwo a Pokemon who has been used and abused. So there's a clear delineation between that and working together. Yeah. Okay, so that actually leads me to my next major question. Why is it so important that we see Pokemon in the wild so often? Because after a very brief cold open with the explosion at the lab, the first thing we see is uh, Pidgeys just flying around on a frosty morning. I think I first heard about Pokemon reading in some Nintendo magazine or other in the mid-90s about a Japanese craze for pocket monsters while I still had an N64. But my first real encounter was when I was working in Electronic Boutique in 1999 when you could not buy Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue. People were coming in and going, have you got Pokemon? Nope. Came out in Japan in February 96. So that makes the franchise 23 years old. Then in North America in September 98, but not in Europe till October 99. And it just wasn't coming in. And this was just before Christmas and there was a huge demand for this. This was the Buzz Lightyear of 99, 2000. And I remember one morning we got a Pokemon Red in. Someone actually bought it to the store and traded it in. And I asked my manager if I could buy it. And they fixed me to get it on my lunch break. And that was kind of thrilling. So already I was sticking that in my purple Game Boy Color, thinking, oh, I'm privileged to be able to play this game. I've been an on and off Pokemon fan. I've played the first four hours of a lot of the games, <laughs> but I can <laughs> never really push through the whole kind of, oh, what am I supposed to do now? Bits in when you're stuck in a town and some idiot won't let you pass. But seeing the Pidgeys here kind of took my breath away. It felt like this was a long time coming. Okay, so the question is, why is it so important that we see Pokemon in the wild so often? I'll chip in with with uh, my personal feelings as we go. So. I mean, it grounds the world, which is the first thing, is that you need to feel like this. these things aren't special in the world, but they are, like, important. And so you have to see them just going around, doing stuff, being, like, animals, basically, because otherwise... You're front-loading way too much stuff, and people won't ever really get attached to them. They'll just be thinking of them as special effects the whole time. Mm. The whole thing about Pokemon is how much you want these creatures to be real. So having them around, interacting, and showing their individual personalities and how they live in the world is really important to building that fantasy, which is, I think, really the main main thing of Pokemon. At least it has been for my 23 years of being into this franchise. <laughs> When did you start getting into it? Because you're not much older than 23. 
Oh, shit, I am but... 23. Jeez. I'm exactly the same age as this franchise. Oh, Lord. I was born the same year they started it, and uh, I'm pretty sure Pokemon Crystal helped teach me how to read. So what you're saying, Mackenzie, is we just adopted the Pokemon franchise. Oh, you were born, born into it. it. <laughs> I was born in it. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this movie and walked away being like, I'm pretty sure this is a reference to this game from this thing. It is good as a movie, but it is excellent for somebody who has been in the franchise for as long as I have, which is as long as you can be in. <laughs> That's a delicate juggling act, because if you turn it into a fan film, we're like, hey, remember this bit from the games? Or remember, like, this is a reference. That can yeah. really turn the average person off. They're like, yeah, okay, I get it, that you're, you're referencing a thing. They're <laughs> very subtle in yeah. this movie, and that's for the best. And also another benefit of it being Detective Pikachu is that it's in Rhyme City, which is nowhere in the Pokemon world, but everywhere in the Pokemon world at the same hmm. time, which means you can just throw whatever at the wall and nobody can be like, but that doesn't happen in that place. Nice. I was going to ask if it was an actual place in one of the games, but uh, it, uh, it, it they seems... they Detective Pikachu. Okay, so yes. it, that's Rhyme City in the... Okay, cool. There is an increasing fan theory that it's going to be in the next region, which is based on the UK, mostly because it's just got London buildings oh, all yeah. over the place. We saw the but... Gherkin, and yeah, it was, it's, it, was like, it was London with a bit of Tokyo in there as well. It, it had the, a weird combination of feeling like all the Pokemon that you really cared about seeing were in there. there obviously, there were weren't i lost track of how many pokemon there actually are how many what's the pokedex at right now it's over nine thousand what nine thousand there's no way that can be right can it whoa yeah it's probably closer to about 30 breeds they had in there but uh, it, it was yeah. enough especially from generation one for everyone to go <gasps> look it up it is heavily loaded from gen 1 and gen 5 i noticed i was okay. trying to figure out where everything was from but there are at least one pokemon from every region except for the new one the tone was very much appreciating them as animals and as it progresses as animals that talk and communicate but the range of pokemon that you see out in the wild makes it makes the world feel real because it has random animals in it Mm. And this ties in with something that I've said on numerous occasions when you have films that have maybe one or two women knocking around in the background. It just doesn't feel natural because in the real world, guess what? There are women hanging around in the background. And if you're looking at a... They even come to the foreground sometimes. Well, indeed. But if you're looking at woods and meadows and areas of nature, which is a very prominent part of the aesthetic in this, there needs to be animals there mm. and by putting in so many of the pokemon out in the wild it really again adds a layer to making the world feel real there's mm. that there's also the biodiversity message which is a big part of it anyway but having pokemon in the wild that haven't been messed up so much that they virtually don't exist anymore is a way of making us long for that hmm. and want to preserve and protect that so there's there's that element yeah. of it as well if you saw just a countryside in america or england it'd be nowhere near as full of interesting animals Absolutely. as this because we've made most of them extinct or at least really really shy or we've penned them in and made sure we're eating them indeed and the other element of it is that if you don't have obvious pokemon in the wild then people look at the range of pokemon they have in the city and go oh okay well where do these all come yeah. from are they like genetic 
genetically engineered yeah. monsters. Your assumption would be these are genetically engineered by us, mm. and and like you engineered this guy to have a massive tongue for whatever perverted reasons. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, showing them to begin with says no, no, no these guys came from here first mm. and then went to the cities. Absolutely, we have domesticated them and learned to live with them mm-hmm. rather than creating them yeah also it shows that since these guys exist in the wild we don't see any other of any kind of animal you know remember that bit in uh, last airbender where they're like okay so it's just a bear the king is having a party at the palace tonight for his pet bear you mean platypus bear no it just says bear certainly you mean his pet skunk bear or his armadillo bear gopher bear just bear this place is weird. You wouldn't just get a dog in uh, Pokemon World. Does it have an actual name for the for the land? Or uh, in this is just Rhyme City. The whole mm. world is Earth. Pokemon has this weird thing where if you dig too deep in it, it seems like real animals might exist or might have exist. Like there's references to elephants. But, like, really? they don't ever show them. It's better you don't think about it. Yeah, no, like, that, you almost want to rule all just regular animals out of your Pokemon lore because it just cr- raises more questions. Unless yeah. you've got a definite idea, Game Freak and company. Or, like, I mean, you're going to have a scene where somebody looks at an elephant and then looks at a Pokeball and then looks back at the elephant <laughs> and gives yeah. up and walks away. <laughs> I mean, uh, you've seen the first movie. You did the quick review on it. There yeah. are just fish in some of the shots underwater that are just there are enough fish pokemon now that you could probably like go back and Mm. explain away what they are but at the time they only had like two fish pokemon so they just drew fish although it's like a fish i'm weirded out here's a thing (laughs) if there are no regular animals in Uh this world then either everyone's a vegetarian oh my god they eat Pokemon. Okay. Well, because- there is Buffalant in a field at the very beginning, implying that they are bred for some purpose. Whoa. <laughs> you just opened a box. I can't close that lid now. Farfetch'd are, like, in the games, almost extinct because they're so tasty. Oh. Okay. There's also a moment in the movie that, uh, Mackenzie, you pointed this out. There is an octillery at like a sushi stand in the marketplace. Uh-huh. <gasps> oh, dude. That's cannibalism. Okay, right. Let's let's uh, leave this thread before we pull it and the whole jumper unravels. <laughs> Nathan, you had something to say yeah, about Nathan, go Pokemon. For it, sorry, go yes, um, Pokemon in the Wild. Uh, it, it definitely grounds the world of the film in a way that is very concrete. Like, you start the movie seeing these Pokemon just existing, mm-hmm. and it also allows the movie to kind of escalate the kind of creatures that you see. Because when you start, you know, you're out in uh, this you know, rural town and you see the birds and the Cubone and the Buffalant, and then it sort of escalates as they get closer to the city where you start seeing these more and more outlandish uh, Pokemon that are less and less familiar as animals until you get to that opening shot of the city where it's just every frame is just filled top to bottom with different kinds of Pokemon and it just kind of it primes you to be able to interpret them as something that's less jarring than just, like, jumping straight into it. Yeah, you shouldn't start with a Machamp. That would yeah. be a, not a good, not a starter. 
or or Chancy. It's like that's too much. <laughs> that's too much. I, I love how you, you were saying, ah, oh, the birds and the buffalant and the cubone. It was like it was a very uh, frontier image, and then this dinosaur wearing the skull of its dead ancestor <laughs> turned up. <laughs> That, was a, think that opening scene is one of my favorite things in this movie. Me though, too, yeah. It's, it's so good. It's a neat, like, you could almost not start a Pokemon film, the very first live action one, without let's go into the long grass and see a wild Pokemon and just see how that plays out as a, uh, a model for what should happen and then goes wrong. It's also great to see Karan Sony here, who is Dopinda in the Deadpool movies. Lovely little cameo making a tertiary role feel significant. Henry Jackman's score for this film is magnificent. It's got the synths of Blade Runner and Mass Effect, but it's warmer, and there are times when it evokes 8-bit chip tunes, but bigger and richer. And the balance when you get to rhyme is just right. Rather than just being, this is familiar, you like this, and simplistic and holding you by the hand, there's a majesty to it, and a fusion of traditionalism and futurism. Now, Mark Kermode, one of my favourite critics, described this as a futuristic, this is rhyme, Blade Runner-style city, but my theory is that it's 2019 on that Earth as well. How might that be? And on a side note, what tipped me off is that the file footage of Bill Nye is from a pan-and-scan square-framed TV show from the 90s with blurry old CRT resolution. Uh, the Pokemon universe has always had a little bit of science fiction to it that they didn't embrace early on but uh they've increasingly embraced as the series has continued they also have a lot of actual alternate universe stuff going on and also they're working with pokemon consistently from like the beginning of human civilization they might have just had more progress because they have these companions they're not alone in the same way that like humans in our world are also like gods are just actually around but we're not going to get into that in detective pikachu but okay that could so have an impact. that actually you can answer this question because because you guys are the pokemon um fans like real fans who actually know shit um yes do they have armies in pokemon world like armies of men who wear armor and have tanks and then march on cities and lay siege to them there is heavy implication of this. In Jed 1, one of the gym leaders is Lieutenant Surge, and uh-huh. he was in – it's implied to be the American military. Right. And in Kalos, there's talk of a war a thousand years ago with, like, Pokemon and, like, their trainers in, like, old-fashioned suits and armor, like, European battle in, like, the 18 – or not the 1800s, in, like, the uh, – like – 1500 style okay. like okay. old so, fashioned stuff so, so they fight with pokemon but also like in battle right together with their pokemon i guess but what we don't get to see is lots of very high-tech armies with the battle pokemon all charging at each other and lots of warfare going on and lots of machines yep. and lots of tech and lots of stuff designed only for killing um, no, it's very peaceful for the most part. Everybody seems very, very sad about the wars in the yeah. past, and they're like, never again. 
And there you have it. That's why we're technologically advanced in this version of 2019, because we're not putting all of our money and tech and scientists into weapons of murder Mm. and mass murder and mass mass murder. We currently have 14,485 nuclear warheads in the world. 6,800 of those are in the USA alone. In 1986, there were 70,300. That's an astonishing amount of money to invest in something no one ever wants to use. And so many individual units of that something you couldn't possibly ever use even one-tenth of them without wiping everything out. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we could have eliminated world hunger with those trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. Decades ago. Instead of that, in this Pokemon fantasy world, their attitude to tech is more like, well, let's, you know, move forwards on the holographic displays and things like that. I wonder if, and this is probably looking way too deeply into it, but that's kind of what we do. I wonder if part of that is that in this universe, the divergence occurred at the point of, right, are we going to invest in war and the destruction of each other? And most of the money that seems to bounce around the Western world these days is kind of focused on military tech and and that kind of stuff. And the economy, every time it takes a boost, it's because of some conflict or other. Or are we going to invest in these animals, which, you know, you teach me and I teach you, they may have taught them something about coexistence that we just haven't picked up on as a species yeah in our world in our world yeah that kind of makes me think that even if you hate pokemon it's still better to live in that reality (laughs) they just have everything so much better so even if you're like oh goddamn growl life i can't stand you pokemon you just go into your house and then flip them the rod through the window and never come outside, you're still in a way better world mm. than you would be here. Yeah, because it's not, it's not as if they don't have conflict, but all the conflict seems to be on a relatively interpersonal level rather than an intersocietal level. You can't be best gym leader. Yeah. That kind of stuff. All, all of the conflicts seem to be resolved by young children having, like, Pokemon battles. It's like... <laughs> If Eurovision was actually the only conflict in the world, but with Pokemon instead. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. And then at the end of it, they all went home and had tea. And all the adults yeah. are just there to go, oh, you've got to watch out for them Pokemon, to the children. And, like, you know, we're just going to impart a little bit of our, our advice, because, like, half of us were trainers when we were younger. So are you saying that the reason that this world is so peaceful and cool is that the grown-ups just don't get involved? Pretty much, yeah. Everybody's just taking their, taking care of their, like, really weird magical pet yeah. and just, like having a good time and all the children are, are, are like weirdly responsible as well as a result of that like then they're, they're not you rarely see i'm a spiteful little shit i'm gonna poke this pokemon with a stick mm. unless well, it's that kill you yeah well there is that but yeah that's of, a charmander one of the ways that you can teach kids responsibility is give them a pet you know and yeah. and if they have difficulty interacting with human beings socially they might interact better with animals no there also seems to be at least in the games though you see it less in the movie this kind of general 
it takes a village mentality for the, everyone in the world where nobody minds like helping out all of these 11 year old children that are just kind of wandering around the countryside. Like yeah. everyone in the society has decided the best way to like ensure that all of these people will grow into decent adults is for everybody to kind of take care of them, mm-hmm. but let yeah. them do their own stuff. Yeah. Nobody's so too overprotective. The, and the kids are completely safe as they do all of this wandering, possibly because of the presence of the Pokemon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If they get hurt, they just get to a publicly funded Poke Center, and then one of the nurses that I guess the government is paying for just takes care of them, and then they're like, do you want us to call your mom? And then you can just go, it's fine. A series of uh, very helpful pink-haired clones. So, I mean, that that's why Rhyme City is, is pitched to the audience as a place of balance. They're, they're showing, like, from the like as soon as you get in there, it's kind of like, right, okay, so there's a Snorlax asleep in front of traffic, and there's this, is it a Machamp or a Machoke directing traffic away from it? I think it's Machamp. It has the extra arms. Okay, there you go. It was very kind of like, and this is the way the world is, and it wasn't cheesy or overly showy and whoa check this out it was it was almost nature documentary matter of fact in 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 little ways it's it still had a lot of heart put into it but it wasn't obnoxious it reminded me somewhat of this is a physical experience i had but i'm just thinking about it when i went to orlando uh they have the harry potter world there and when you walk in to diagon alley it's just like just the Harry Potter thing just going on and there's stuff in the edges and it's not really designed to be like, and here's a big castle with a dragon and like a flying broomstick. It's just like, nope, here's a town, but the wizard stuff you're used to is there and it like literally made me cry. And (laughs) this movie almost made me cry just in the opening shots of Rhyme City because it's like, oh, it's real. This thing that I've been attached to my whole life is real. It's amazing. That's one of the most remarkable things that this movie pulls off is just making the Pokemon feel like a part of this world. Like the the way that they're just always present and doing things and interacting with people, even in the background, is something that gives it that real sense of like lived in sense of place. So let's go to Tim here, uh, played by Justice Smith, who I actually really quite enjoyed in uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, a movie which nobody else likes, and that's fine. Uh, But uh, he was way more uh, engaging here because his character wasn't actively annoying like he was supposed to be in in, in the dinosaur film. He's got a dry sense of humour which matches Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. He's self-effacing and yet evasive. We are aware of his pain and his problems, and yet he doesn't whine about them. So what details and elements of Tim's story and his personality went over and above those of the usual blank slate protagonist? Because I noticed quite a few. He wasn't just your Johnny template. Mm. One thing I noticed about the way he's set up as a character, and then the same thing applies when he meets Lucy, is that there's a, a really awkward space that they occupy specifically which is that they are kids 
but they have adult responsibilities and obligations. And I think somewhere they allude to the fact that they're around about 20, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. But Young enough for kids to relate to them, old enough for adults to relate exactly, to them. Exactly, exactly. And that, if you don't get that balance pitch perfect you're going to alienate one or the other and I actually think that the two of them managed it incredibly well I'm reminded of Shazam as well yes they, that manages the balance of that as well yeah but th- that manages the balance by literally having a kid and an adult and forwards between the two stupid adult hands mm. it's coming it, it means that you can because a, a sizable portion of tim's story relates to the fact that he made a decision as a child that he now regrets uh tim is is a really interesting character for the from the perspective of like a pokemon universe where he's you know a person with flaws and interests and whatnot and the thing about him is, yeah, branching off of that, he is an adult, but still a very young adult thing, is that he's very much a kind of very familiar character of awkward, uncertain, millennial-type kid who doesn't really know what his future is going to hold anymore because he's got this lousy job that he doesn't really care about, and he's just really awkward. One of the things about him I loved so much is that he, he doesn't really know how to interact very well, but it's in a very human way where he's not like a jerk or anything. It's just he's kind of isolated himself and doesn't know what to do with his life because he had ambitions that he didn't follow through on and he has a lot of regrets for someone his age. Tim worked surprisingly well for me and Justice Smith knocked it out of the park. I hadn't seen him in anything except for Paper Towns where he's like a very secondary character and I was really surprised by how well he did in this movie. In the context of Pokemon, what makes Tim really interesting is that he is essentially a subversion of the standard uh, Pokemon protagonist uh, from the games and from the show, in that he is an 11-year-old who loved Pokemon, who never got to go on his Pokemon journey. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the consequences of that in his life. Uh, like playing out at the beginning of the movie. And that gives him a a very familiar uh, element to people who have played the games, who are familiar with the franchise. But then on the other hand, it, you know, gives him a starting point for, uh, for a character arc that other people will also understand. Yeah. Adults will understand the whole putting what you love in a drawer and trying to forget about it. Mm, yeah. It also highlights a, again, coming back to the ecology element of the story, it highlights a 10-year period where we had a chance to significantly impact the direction that things were going in <laughs> terms of biodiversity and climate change and that kind of stuff we as millennials we as humans and that we are now becoming acutely aware of the fact that we may have missed the window why has it always got to come back to ecological disaster with us (laughs) with such doomsday preppers oh the other minor thing that makes tim really interesting in escape of the pokemon universe is that he has a dad uh, yeah. A lot of the Pokemon protagonists, uh, we were talking about this just the other day. The only game you have a father is uh, Ruby and Sapphire, and he's also a distant figure who lives in a different city. Mm. And then one of your rivals is the son of Giovanni, who d- t- isn't a like very good dad. Right. 
Right. So almost all of them have daddy issues which go unexplored. Completely. <laughs> Whereas these ones are very much, uh, they're not richly explored, but it's a major theme. Yes. He exists as a character hmm. at the very least. When you see it a second time, has anyone seen it more than once? Yes. Yes. Have. Right. When you saw it a second time, did it feel different to you? Uh, Knowing a little, what was different about it. Uh, a little bit in that I knew I knew what the ending was, so I wasn't searching for clues like you kind of do when you're watching a mystery movie, trying mm. to figure out what's coming. And I have been like about halfway through the game at that point, but hadn't finished it. So I was comparing and contrasting it a lot with that, mm-hmm. trying to figure out where it was going. And the second time, I just kind of let myself watch it and it was honestly even more fun the second time because it's just just enjoying the ride as opposed to examining it as deeply on a like mystery level when you watch it the first time it does feel a little convoluted regarding the mystery plot you're like okay so who was paying this person to do that and then they were investigating this and then they set off that which then led to that and then they hid that information but with the second time you've taken it all on board and yeah you can enjoy the ride but Knowing that it's Tim with, uh, if you folks haven't seen this film, major, major spoiler coming up. So yeah. you might want to. Okay, everyone, going to play some Jigglypuff music do, for you do, right do, now. Tim is in fact on this whole adventure with his father, Harry, the whole time, and neither of them know it. Tim gets changed for the next the next morning after the uh, escapade of the first night and gets into his father's clothes. And it never really hit me until you see Ryan Reynolds at the end wearing... It's not the exact same jacket, but it's a very similar jacket from his closet. Clearly, he has a style. Uh, to the one Tim's been wearing that's ill-fitting the whole time. And it was just, wow, he's actually put on his father's clothes and he wants to be the detective. He's just not voicing that. It's a wonderful little touch. And mm-hmm. just knowing that and and so many scenes that they are in together, just it powers them even more. That I don't know whether that happens in the game, uh, but it's a, a splendid twist. The game is surprisingly unclear about the ending uh it just it's just very vague it's a very vague ending that's dissatisfying but it's no like when the game came out i mean everybody who played it was basically on the same train of like okay so is is he your dad or not because it's implied and not confirmed one way or the other essentially it's a it's a choice i think they were planning for sequels that just never got made oh Okay. That's well, unsatisfying. Uh, I think <laughs> the the plot did not seem especially convoluted for me. They when Pikachu lays out the the three options as far as it, when they're in the bar and he does the one, Harry faked his own death. Two, somebody else faked Harry's death or three, Harry, Harry faked, faked someone, someone else's, else's death. death. Now that last one doesn't work at all. Doesn't that, work at all. That kind of felt like they were poking fun at the fact that the plot might have seemed a little bit confusing. Mm. But if you if you look at it as it plays through, every time there's a a plot 
twist, for want of a better term, or a new thread comes in. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like they're constantly bringing in threads that just get all tangled up together and leave you unsure of what's happening. It's more like a zigzag. They go in a certain direction, and then they find something else out, and they make a sharp left turn, and then they go in this new direction, and then they make another sharp turn, and then they go in this new direction. Every time they have a new path, it follows that path fairly... Uh, in in a fairly dedicated way. Yeah. For a mystery film, it is actually very short on red herrings. There Mm. aren't a lot of, like... Sorry. There aren't a lot of misleading roads that they go on. There aren't a lot of unnecessary interviews or anything. Everything is relatively streamlined, which makes sense. It's a mystery story in the vein of Zootopia or Mm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, primarily Mm. for a younger audience. It doesn't need to be... That complicated. Indeed. Both of which it feels very like, actually. Yeah, those the, are the two that I thought of most. Both, yeah. All three of which are extremely high quality. Yeah, and yeah. use a noir format, which is normally a very adult-type film, to present a child's story. Mm. I, I saw one review of this uh, say, well, it's film noir for dummies. And it's like, fuck you, buddy! It's for kids and their parents! Under these circumstances, do you want it to be more adult for the kids or less noir? Mm. Get off your high horsey. Dummies (laughs) and beginners are not the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There are aspects to uh, uh, Tim which I I really enjoyed. His being not really keen to go on this adventure to begin with and just being kind of muscled into it and, and then having to actually go and do this for legal reasons, having to go and deal with his father's um, effective disappearance and potentially death. And how... When the, the police chief... Is it Ken Watanabe? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sits him down and says, you're, you, know, you remind me of your father. And he's about to give this long, stirring speech... Uh, which and this was done extremely well in the trailer. Which he was, just, I'm not at all. And it's funnier in the trailer than it is in the, the film. It's kind of character revealing in the film because there, there's this unreadiness on Tim's part to even really discuss his father. He's just like, I'm just going to get this thing done, which is a very grown up way to handle it. And yet he's a, in, in conflict with his. He's got a Pikachu bed, and it's like you like Pokemon. He's burying a lot of feelings. Avoidance. This is the adult way of dealing with everything. And Tim is in insurance, something which seems very detached from the Pokemon-centric world, like he's stepped away hard. Yeah. I wonder if it might also be a reference to um, Double Indemnity, (laughs) where the main character in that film noir is an insurance uh, investigator. Uh, He isn't an insurance agent in the game. He's just... It's unclear. Also, he it's has un- a mom. Oh, okay. Uh, and like a sibling. It's strange. They don't matter. Mm. They're just there. So there I was. I woke up with a heavy case of amnesia in the middle of nowhere. The only clue to my past is Harry's name and address inside this hat. So you're a talking Pikachu with no memories who's addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Look, you can talk to humans. I can talk to Pokemon. And if you want to find your pops, we're going to need each other. No, I don't need a Pokemon. What about a world-class detective? Should we talk about the fact that your childhood bed is a Pikachu bed? It's a coincidence. I've never been so flattered and creeped out at the same time. So we then meet uh, Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu. And what challenges, realistically speaking, did he face when bringing us his version of Pikachu? And conversely, why was his casting such an inspired choice? 
Well, realistically speaking, was one of the challenges. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that he's just talking like a guy makes it automatically funny because if you know Pikachu at all, then you expect Pikachu. The first thing I ever heard about this film's production was Ryan Reynolds has been cast in Detective Pikachu. And I went, now that's cool. I was thinking the Muppets where you get one really great straight man human to talk to all these crazy furry creatures. I know that there'll be one for you. So you're saying if me wait, me going to get cookie? Ultimately, yes. Okay, me going to wait. Okay. How long we have to wait? Oh my God. Oh, smell that? Me no, me smelling it. And I was expecting it to be like, we're going to do this, you and me. So when I found out he was actually playing Pikachu, I'd never heard of the Detective Pikachu game where he talks. I thought it was just going to be him going, uh, Pikachu, Pika Pika. Pika Pika. Like, I am Groot, but Ryan Reynolds. And I thought, well, that's wrong. Wrong casting. Give Ryan Reynolds the Pikachu sidekick. So happy to be wrong on that one. And yet, weirdly, right. Pika. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds was a really good choice for this because he simultaneously takes it seriously while also knowing exactly what kind of a movie he's in. He doesn't he doesn't play it off like a joke in the sense that he thinks the whole thing is beneath him. He has proven that he can do this with Deadpool, which is not similar in basically any way besides comic books are kind of seen as silly and video games are kind of seen as silly and Ryan Reynolds can do a thing where he's funny in one of these silly things without making the thing itself part of the joke. Yeah. Uh, Pikachu, I mean, in the game, he's got a way deeper voice and people were surprised when they went with Ryan Reynolds. Hey, how's it going? I'm Pikachu. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a very gruff old detective-y voice. I don't really know what's going on, but you can understand me, so, all right. (laughs) What are you talking about? Oh, let's see if this woman can understand me. (laughs) Pika, 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 pika! Mm. That answers that question. But I think for the sake of the movie, it's better that it was a more, like, for lack of a better word, approachable voice. It's not as far off from the Pikachu voice as it could be. It's still on a kind of higher register. It kind of fits coming out of that body. We've been, like, desensitized by, like, Rocket Raccoon. So we're used to this kind of nonsense. Mm. And Ryan Reynolds is, you know, funny and likable. And that that goes a while into yeah. making character work. He, he proved to be more funny and likable than uh, uh, Choices 2 and 3, which were Tom Waits and Nick Nolte, who were like, Oh, God damn it, I'm Pikachu! <laughs> oh, good Lord. <laughs> I think as well, the the an element of the twist which I, when it became apparent that they were very deliberately not showing us Harry's face, I guessed that Reynolds was also going to be playing Harry. Mm-hmm. But the the shift that happened when I realised what was actually going on was massive. Because he's got that kind of child-friendly voice, it wasn't something that had seemed really obvious from the word go. It just hit me at one particular stage and I think having that impact made it a lot more powerful for me than I was expecting it to be and I I think if the voice had been someone else who I'm not used to seeing in a stunt casting we got him because he has this silly way of delivering things that that you know so if it had been Jason Clark 
Yeah. Yeah, he's not too fatherly, but he is very much a dad, mm-hmm. if that reads anything. He is not so immature that you're, like, shocked by the twist at the end, but he's not so, like, father-knows-best stern old man that you suspect it as easily as you might if it was, I don't know, James or old Jones or something. <laughs> uh, he is very good at threading that needle between being this uh, very likable kind of childish figure, but also uh, taking the role very seriously. Mm. Um, And especially those moments where he needs to uh, be emotive. His choice uh, as Pikachu, I think, makes those moments, the the scene at the fountain in particular, and then also towards the end where they figure out uh, what's going on with uh, Pikachu and Harry they make those moments hit a lot harder when you have an actor who is able to balance between the uh, comedic tone and that more serious emotional beat. He has a vulnerability about him. Yeah. There's this uh, through line in the character we were discussing the other day where, and this is pretty similar to Rocket Raccoon actually, in that he has this fear that he only ever hurts the people he cares about, which is clearly instilled when uh, his son refused to come live with him. And he threw himself into his work after his wife died. And it's impressive how well Ryan Reynolds manages to portray that as Pikachu, both when he's unaware that this is a problem and when he is deeply afraid that he's going to hurt someone again and make both the jokey version of it and the serious version of it hit and imply something deeper about the character at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting that even as Pikachu without Harry's memories, he still seems to be very in tune with his own insecurities just as a person. And that comes across in even a lot of the like one-off gags throughout the movie with Pikachu that in a really powerful way. Once uh, Seeing it a second time really hit that for me. Also, it's uh, it's really reductive to say he's just doing Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool relies on three major things that Reynolds can't for Pikachu. One, he's appallingly mean all the time to everyone. Uh, yes. th- th- Pikachu, you know, he's he's sarcastic and he's observationally humorous and a little bit cutting at times. Like, oh, I hope we never meet again. Um, but it's it's more of a passive aggressive kind of uh, like a flip way of doing it. But he is not as stratospherically mean as Deadpool. Also, Deadpool is absolutely foul mouthed and. Ryan Reynolds here is in the most child-friendly of scenarios. This is the thing you bring your little tiny child to, so he can't rely on any foul language. And the other one is that Deadpool is very heavily reliant on pop culture references, and they are really good at not doing that in this film. I don't think they make a reference to anything that exists in our world that is part of pop culture. Whereas in Shrek 2, Donkey's like, and then we put past that bush that looks like Shirley Bassey. And it's like, you got Shirley Bassey in Shrek world? Yeah, uh, they do make pop culture references to stuff in the Pokemon world, but that's only funny if you're a big nerd for the Pokemon franchise. Oh, such as, you know, I heard they have Vikings in Minnesota. (laughs) That's such a weird one. (sighs) But in Detective Pikachu, at one point in time, Ron Reynolds as Pikachu says, uh, Great Mother of Arceus, which was an amazing line for me because they just like explicitly referenced the god that is pokemon in this universe so there you go that's technically an in-world pop culture reference i mean it's more like an in-world 
religious reference. I don't know. There's a statue of the god Pokemon in this movie, and I'm glad they don't go into the lore of the actual legendary Pokemon, because that stuff gets way too weird way too fast. Also, we could talk about the link between religion and pop culture all day. Yeah, no, <laughs> we just got out of John Wick 3. We can talk about that some other time. <laughs> We had to talk about the commitment of Mr. Mime. Has he ever been this dedicated to his art in the games or the animated series? In the animated series, he seems way too interested in just, like, living in a seemingly domestic relationship with Ash's mom. Right, I thought so. he doesn't do much miming. So he's her Pokemon, then? Because I, I, th- I think I, we saw him in the movie Pokemon 2000, and he was just going, mine, 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 while sweeping the patio. He doesn't say anything in this movie. That's a way better mime. Yeah, he's he's much better in this movie. Mr. Mime is actually an amazing part of Detective Pikachu. He's a very humorous character, and the scene is good, as opposed to just being really creepy in the games. Yeah. This entire scene with Mr. Mime top to bottom is probably my favorite individual scene in the entire movie. Yeah. It's it's pitch perfect in the way that they portray his ability. And also, the thing that I love most about the scene is that the sound design for all of the miming Mm -hmm. acts as if everything that's being mimed is actually happening. And it gives it this just amazing comedic weight that makes the scene work so well. Also, they took the Pokemon that most people agree is kind of creepy and tried to set him on fire, which is fabulous. I love the way that uh, he kind of sits in an invisible chair and sort of draws himself an invisible cup of tea as though to say, you'll never break me. Conveying to the audience a certain level of, okay, we shall play a, a meta game, you and I. And uh, you know, which makes him much more of a character who never says a damn word. But I, I thought uh, as soon as they accidentally set him on fire, they could then have immediately cut to a scene where they're hosing him down with uh, invisible hoses just to lay the kiddies' fears to rest. Because it kind of made me yeah. think, Mr. Mime is so dedicated to his art. You know, if you die in the mime, you die for real. Yeah. <laughs> I think we both made that reference. Nice. Uh, the only the only si- thing that, that really makes it feel like he probably won't actually just die of a, like, fear heart attack from being set on fire is that he does break character a few times because Pikachu is so bad at guessing mime right, that he okay. has to give him tips. Okay. Like, uh, when he's not understanding that they're pouring gasoline on him, Mr. Mime breaks character and, like, mimes... Uh, farting yes. to like show that it's gas so that Ryan Reynolds Pikachu can understand what's going on. So he's he's fine, really. I also love how Reynolds flags for the audience, ooh, that got dark quick, I love it. Yes. <laughs> and it allows them to do a torture scene without any torture. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only torture scene that I've actually but the joke is that they're gonna torture a guy and I actually found it funny because that mm-hmm. does pop up annoyingly frequently and I don't enjoy it when it pops up usually because torture is, you know, not funny. But in this movie, it was very funny. <laughs> now, I've really loved Psyduck since there was a twisted Toy Fair theater where he goes into a battle of minds with uh, uh, Migo of Charles Xavier. And um, then eventually Charles Xavier uh, just drop kicks him. But I was not expecting to take quite so much of a shine to this Psyduck version of Psyduck. <laughs> He registered to me like a child with special needs who also has multiple layers to him. Like he, that whole, I've got to make sure that this kid who I carry around in a baby Bjorn, it doesn't get too upset because he's very sensitive like that. 
And that would be great on its own as a sort of way of characterizing Psyduck. But he's also kind of friendly and lazy and takes advantage of Pikachu and makes him give him a foot rub. And, uh, you know, he's curious and, uh, you know, converses with Pikachu as well and seems to have his own thing going on, which kind of really exemplified the whole, you know, when you take care of this Pokemon and it will take care of you side of it, rather than it's just, he's my cute little mascot, Psyduck. He's not just a ball of anxiety and Mm. the potential to explode. And he's also not just the stupid thing that is in the anime. Like, the Psyduck in the anime is, is literally his character trait is so dumb he doesn't seem to recognize his own name because um, he comes out of the Pokeball at any given time. In Detective Pikachu, Psyduck is, yeah, surprisingly friendly and like charming and clearly wants to be helpful but kind of can't because he's a coward. And it's a surprisingly good character and I think it shows how effective future installments could be even with Pokemon that don't speak English as mm. the primary characters, because you still get a lot of sense of character out of Psyduck, and Psyduck doesn't say anything but Psyduck. Yeah. Oh, yeah cinema started with silent movies. It is absolutely possible to convey character without speaking. We've just become lazy and entitled to things with dialogue. And pop culture <laughs> references. That's why my favorite movie is Wally. Wally barely says anything. There you go. Yeah, he just much like a Pokemon only says his own name. <gasps> Voltorb's a mechanical thing. Is Wally a Pokemon? Oh my god! I would watch that crossover. <laughs> <laughs> and Lucy, the overlooked underdog. Lucy is a lot more career driven and I really appreciate how how the movie doesn't think that she's a bad person for being a woman who wants to like get really far ahead in this career and she has a very strong passion and drive to her and I really loved Lucy as a character she was cute and determined and willing to break the law to figure out stories and Honestly, the kind of kick in the pants that Tim and Pikachu needed to actually get stuff done because she was already doing this without a personal motivation to do so. She is the character that knows that they're in a film noir and is acting almost exaggeratedly appropriately to that role. She has just got a lot of intuition, but also... She's the the kind of person who is smart enough to have figured out this entire case and, like, determined enough to take wire clippers to a fence, but not necessarily experienced enough to check for security cameras. As soon as I saw Bill Nye uh, as a character in it being this sort of sweet old man and uh, he's super rich and he's got this asshole son who's played by nobody at all, I thought, all right, okay, so nobody at all is definitely the villain. Nobody at all is definitely the red herring. It's definitely Bill Nye, because why would you get Bill Nye and not make him the villain? The second Bill Nye shows up in the promotional video for Rhyme City, I'm like, oh, this guy has, like, Hmm. villain written all over him. He is rich. He founded a city that's supposed to be a utopia. He's a white guy. talking about evolving to a better being yeah yeah Yeah. plus from a generational perspective the i had everything lined up in a way that would benefit all humankind and then my idiot son messed it all up is very much a boomer attitude 
my dad made a complete pig's ear of everything and everybody's blaming me for it is very much a millennial attitude. Yeah. I mean, plus it's a film noir and you're like, right, okay, he's being hired to this case. The person at the very top of this, the richest white person, villain. Straight away, like they're, they're, the money. they're really quite good in Zootopia of defying that. They go, right, nope, actually, no. It's, it's, it's rare, though. There's so many films like, in this also series. Also, in, in Zootopia, they do it in a slightly cack-handed way. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is a point where it's better to compare Detective Pikachu to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. I know that uh, his son is supposed to be a red herring, but I don't know if you're ever entirely supposed to believe it, because if you compare it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit... I don't think there's a moment you're supposed to think Judge Doom isn't actually the villain, right? Yeah, like, but Judge Doom starts out freaking terrifying and then dips a tiny toon boot. Uh, whereas Knight, whereas Bill Nye's Knight. lovely and avuncular, like, I've seen you be a villain in bad films. I've seen you be a villain in good films. I've seen you be really lovely in lots of good films. I really hope... You're not the villain, mm. but it'll still be fun to see you be the villain. That is one good thing about casting Bill Nye, I think, is that he does have that guessing? slight edge of I'm not sure which way mm. he's going to slide. I'm the superintendent and I can have you killed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that's supposed to be surprising about Bill Nye as a villain, I think, isn't that he's the villain. It's that his plan is so much crazier than you think. Two minutes into the movie, Nathan leaned over and said... Oh, Bill Nye is in the Mewtwo, but I never for a second thought, and he's going to go lizard from Amazing Spider-Man and make everybody Pokemon. Yeah. That was not in the cards for me. I did not see that until, like, uh, until the the parade sequence with all the balloons, and I was like, what is your plan here? That was a weirdly inadvertent Batman reference as well. I was like, just like, he stole my balloons. Like the moment I saw those things, I was like, right, those are going to be dodgy balloons. There's a parade in Spider-Man as well. So it's like Batman, then Spider-Man, now Detective Pikachu. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may or may not be a very, very mild reference to the Pokemon stage in the earliest Smash Brothers game, which has a bunch of floats that are shaped like Pokemon. Ah, crafty. So, um, okay, this is linked to that. Why was the turn with Mewtwo revealing him to not be the big bad important, especially if you're a Pokemon fan? It's worth noting that even in the first movie, Mewtwo isn't a villain as such. They're very anti-hero, dark, conflicted, but Hmm. from an understandable reasoning standpoint... I think the person who summed it up best was uh, Lyra Shaw on our quick review of Pokemon the First Movie, available on Patreon. At the start, he's confused, then angry, and then he turns bad. Mm -hmm. But gradually through the film, he turns half better? It's unclear. Even I had a hard time focusing on it. They were created to be a weapon, and didn't really appreciate that and humans have been nothing but crappy to them and that they get away at the end is portrayed as a good thing and not a bad thing that they can come to understand humans aren't all inherently crappy is kind of part of the whole point is that humans Mm. can be really bad but if we treat each other with a decent amount of respect we don't have to be inherently evil you've added a little extra characterization here you refer to Mewtwo as they is it uh is Mewtwo non-gendered or both gendered or uh, which 
well, the the actors in Detective Pikachu, there's a female and a male actor doing the voice, mm-hmm. so I defaulted today. Nice. And also, technically speaking, in the games, all legendary Pokemon are genderless because you can't breed them. It's for a mechanic reason. But mm-hmm. I think Mewtwo doesn't have a, like, sex marking. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he is probably pretty typical, and he's clearly coded as masculine in the first movie, a little less so in this one, I would say. Mm. So, in other words, the big reveal with he's, uh, that he's not this terrible force of uh, uh, supernature that killed Harry in a terrible, fiery crash and seeks to destroy all of humankind and cast aside any Pokémon who work together with humans... Also because we've got this preloaded idea that he even mutters at one point, you know, all humanity is evil. Mewtwo is convincing as a formidable antagonist. Which is why, like I said, it's a neat turn that Mewtwo is not as simple as that. Mewtwo being a psychic Pokemon as well is, I'm not sure how significant, but it felt significant to me in that they've been badly treated and their experience of humans is not a positive one at all. And Like Cobra in the Planet of the Exactly. Apes and psychically, what they're picking up on is very negative thoughts from people. <laughs> However, if they step back from that psychic reading, if you like, of the human race, and instead of trying to react based on the thoughts they encounter, observe the actions, that's when they get to see Harry's actions being positive and and trying to help. Mm. And that's the thing that turns them around on it and realising that not all humans are bad. It's when they remove themselves from the bad intentions and look at the good actions that some people have Hmm. speaking of actions did the action sequences hit the ideal scale for this project Uh, they worked really well for me honestly i i was going to i hope so Uh, (laughs) i was very impressed by the action scenes in this movie honestly i'm glad they kept away from everything being battle focused which would have been all too easy for a live action Pokemon movie to just be about, you know, Pokemon fighting each other and they don't do that. Mm-hmm. They instead do a lot of interactions with the environment. There probably could have stood to be more use of the Pokemon's abilities and whatnot, but they are doing so much work in this movie to just lay the groundwork of getting used to these creatures that yeah. maybe having your I don't know, Pikachu suddenly run at the speed of light would not be a great thing to do. It might break the physics for a bit. I was really impressed, though, I think especially with the Torterra Garden sequence, which can really show the overwhelming nature of these animals if you mess with them, how huge they can get, how much power they wield, not in anger or anything, just by existing. Hmm. I was uh, surprised. I've heard some people say that that particular action sequence uh, was a, a weird standout moment in that it's this huge mountainous thing happening. 
that then immediately writes itself and goes, right, okay, so it's almost as though it never happened at all. And the real reason for it to happen was to hit Pikachu hard in the chest with a rock, which could I mean, technically from, a graveler could have done that. From a plot perspective, sure. Mm. It's also, I think, supposed to be the clearest point that uh, whatever they're doing in this lab is actually not good because yeah. previously you're only seen a slightly stronger Greninja. And after this, we're going to get the really, really creepy Ditto. But at this point, it's just establishing they were messing with some really powerful stuff here. We shouldn't take these guys lightly. They could cause some serious trouble if they wanted to. Mm. There's a balance with these Torterras that they are, they're not supposed to get this huge. And there's a, a kind of a dual strand for this scene, which is that from a plot perspective, it's demonstrating the extent to which the genetic meddling that these people are doing is going to cause huge problems, albeit with something that fits so naturally into the landscape that it's almost like it's almost a reference to Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. Like dinosaurs once were a thing and they were massive and they had a huge impact on the world. And, and they nature died out selected them for, for extinction. extinction. Exactly. And now you as scientists are trying to recreate this this thing that shouldn't be and is going to have a massive impact on the landscape that you should be allowing it to fade back to its normal self. So from a plot perspective, you've got that going on. From a visual and action beat perspective as well, it's a point in the store in the film where you need a big action scene to happen, but not something that's going to feel tacked on and pointless. And so again, it feels, for me, very seamlessly integrated. The fact that it, they fold back into the landscape and it's almost as if they weren't there at all is a positive yeah. because it makes it feel very much like it's supposed to be there. The other thing is as well, I like the range of sizes for the action scenes. You, you've got the, near the very beginning, you've got the, the chase sequence with the APOM and they almost feel like rats like they're just a Retardous? Uh, uh well yeah but the the fact that they're almost just a a group of uh, vermin like yeah. creatures in a, an urban environment and that feels very small and then it goes to this which is the entire island mm. gets up and walks and then sits back down again yeah. and that again contributes to that feeling of this world being extremely massive in a way that we will never see the edges of which makes it feel more real and the uh, the float battle is it evokes superheroes mm. as for the aforementioned yeah. batman and spider-man absolutely uh, it, it does this continuously throughout the whole film they take tiny little things seeds from other movies and what you say about there being no direct pop culture references that's absolutely true but there are echoes and mm. shadows Beats. and mirrors of all sorts of things that people will remember and will be programmed to respond to in a certain way. And they handle it so well that it, it, you don't notice it. And from a technical perspective, you also just have 
how seamlessly they integrate Pokemon into the action sequences. In that there are these CG characters that are interacting physically with the world in a way that is like on a scale beyond what most um, most action movies uh, need to deal with. Mm. I mean, maybe uh, with a lot of the Marvel stuff now, that's less of the case. But uh, traditionally, you don't have all of these like tiny CGI figures being integrated into these big physical action sequences. Mm. And they actually shot this movie on film in order to make the integration of the Pokemon into the like physical filming look more realistic and it definitely shows especially in those action sequences brilliant Mm -hmm. they put so much effort they cared so much about making this actually work and it reads in every frame of this movie absolutely i came out thinking you could level you know accusations of extreme capitalism at this like buy these toys you want these things but it's so clear when you look at the actual creatures themselves that everyone working on this film loves Pokemon. The they other ju- thing about, from a marketing standpoint is if they were just trying to sell toys, why did they figurehead Mr. Mime so much? Mm-hmm. The most prominent Pokemon is Pikachu. The second and third most prominent Pokemon are Mr. Mime and Psyduck. Not exactly the cutest things on the market. Yeah. <laughs> if they and- wanted to just sell toys, they could have put Vulpix in there and I would have bought so many Vulpix. <laughs> <laughs> And ditto as well, as you said, the like this yeah. living creep thing. Uh, that was a nice <laughs> misdirect, because as soon as I saw the sun say, and everyone hates your Pokemon, I was like, right, ditto. So at some point, a character who we already have been introduced to, maybe the police chief, is going to talk to them and tell them something which is actually not true, and it's actually going to be the ditto. And I completely missed the fact that the agent woman had like a purplish pink pair of gloves on and a purplish pink streak in her hair and was clearly the ditto that was nicely done there's a point somewhere fairly early on where she walks i think it's that she walks through a door or something and you see this purple jelly splash it's but it's really subtle like if you don't hmm. know that's what it means you wouldn't pick up on it nice Nice the ditto being able to transform into a human was a surprise for me because i just Mm. kind of well, it happens early in the movie, actually. The Ditto uh, turns into a human to, like, carry Howard off yeah. in his wheelchair. To establish that this is possible, yeah. Mm. It's, a, it's another subtle uh, nod at the genetic manipulation, though, because that's not a thing Ditto can mm. do in the games. They are they can transform into Pokemon. That's what they do. That this Ditto is hyper-intelligent and able to transform into people for prolonged periods of time mm. and function as a human being is kind of terrifying. It's... Yeah a much more dangerous version of Polyjuice. There's a... I, I, I could be wrong, because I've played a whole bunch of Pokemon games, but I've not completed more than Pearl. Sharon's finished uh, Let's Go Pikachu. But it seems that all the villains in the games that I have played want to dig up a fossil of an ancient, legendary Pokemon and control a thing as a result of that. Is that accurate, or are there other um, reasonings? More or less. Uh, Gen 1, it's just an organized crime group that just wants to do organized crime things, mostly. Okay, so the kids fall the mafia. Yeah. (laughs) After Gen 1 and 2, it basically becomes... Gen 3, it starts to become clear that this is the pattern where there's two different groups of evil gangsters, and Mm. they both want to catch different legendary Pokemon, and one of them wants to flood the Earth, and one of them wants to dry out the earth with a different legendary Pokemon, and it, it only continues to get sillier from there. Right. That is the main motivation. Okay. For 
uh, up until uh, the newest games where... No, wait, no, it's still Find a Legendary Pokemon. It's <laughs> just Find a Legendary Pokemon open portals to an alternate universe hmm. instead of other things. Well, in this, there was a clear through line between digging up a fossil thing and trying to harness it and ruining everything as a result. There was one line in the film which didn't land with me, and I feel like if I can just get past it, I'll be okay. It's during the Torterra garden uh, collapsing sequence. There's like a sudden pause between the action beats uh, when the the earth flying everywhere and everything's gone sideways and Pikachu shouts at the audience, how can you not believe in climate change? Which uh, it it feels like it would make a lot of people's eyes roll uh, because it's strawmanish. It's, well, this is a fantasy sequence you've put together, not an actual earthquake. But it's a fantasy sequence earthquake that represents actual earthquakes and hurricanes and tidal waves. It's them shouting at the audience, you gotta do something about this, like, now. It's trying. I, yeah. It's a bit of a mixed message because it's also not actually the Earth. It's a genetically modified turtle monster. <laughs> uh, it's like a scene out of the new Godzilla movie, almost. Mm. It's It's kind of excellent. But yeah, it's you can still metaphorically connect it to climate change, but it's still yeah. it's it's one of those lines that probably Ryan Reynolds just shouted in the recording booth, and they thought, "Ha ha, that's funny." Yeah, that occurred to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> Only two other problems that I can think of with the film, uh, one of which is something that should be addressed, and this was pointed out by Jesse Ferguson. Bill Nye's character is the only disabled person in the whole film, and he's evil and crazed and a lot of his frustrations stem from being disabled as a result of a degenerative disease more representation of disabled people within the movie allows this to not be the only representation and the other one and this didn't strike me until i was talking about it with sharon afterwards there are no children in this movie there are no children in rhyme city there's just a bunch of young adults it's almost like children of men Your core audience here are current young people who really like Pokemon, older people who used to play Pokemon and are now remembering it, with the weaponized nostalgia they wield, and the children of those older players, like Lyra, who have no representation within the movie. They have Luke Skywalker-style avatars in the shape of older people. And actually, especially for younger kids, they might see themselves in the Pokemon as well. So yeah, probably wouldn't hurt to have a bunch of kids in the next one. Though it is admirable how they managed to mitigate nearly all the action sequences and stop them being too frightening with comedy and wordplay. Say, for example, after the Apom chase, when a lot of kids would be like, well, what's going to happen with these savage rabid Apom? They start walking around wearing Tim's pants. And then they give them back to him, helpfully, just to show the kids it's okay, they're okay now. Nice visual shorthand there. And the stuff Pikachu's yelling during the chase allows the adults to laugh so the kids get less nervous.
Um, okay, so why was Howard Clifford's plan to fuse Pokemon with humans so utterly misguided and actually just plain bonkers, if you think about it? Because so <laughs> many of those Pokemon don't have opposable thumbs. If you shift the humans <laughs> into their Pokemon without warning, there's so much stuff they're not going to be able to do just to get home. Yeah. There are Sneasels there. Those have big, like, two-inch claws as hands. I don't know how you function as a Sneasel. Yeah. Lucy was carrying around Psyduck in a little backpack most of the time. She's going to need someone else to carry her around a backpack, but there's not going to be someone else around there! Exactly. Apart from the Machamps, who are mostly humanoids. Yeah, the Machamps are going to find themselves largely put upon in this world, aren't they? Yeah. Um, okay, uh, you guys just go for it, because this, this is a plan that made me go... Why did you think this was a good idea? I honestly don't know what his next step was going to be. <laughs> What's phase two? <laughs> phase step three is profit. Put, put myself in a Mewtwo. Step two, put everyone else in Pokemon. Step three, question mark, question mark, question mark. Step four, profit? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a wild plan and why I didn't see it coming. I, I totally get the take the best parts of Pokemon and, like, add them to, onto us, like a genetic modification thing. Right. And I get... Now I can spit fire a, like a Charizard. Yeah, I get being wanting to be a Mewtwo, because Mewtwo is dope. Wanting mm. to just shove everyone else into whatever Pokemon is... Yeah, it's a wild move from Bill Nye's perspective. Howard Clifford is... I mean... He's just crazy by that point in the, like, supervillain sense of the word. I compared him to the lizard from uh, The Amazing Spider-Man before, and I think that's the only yeah. time I've ever seen a villain go that crazy before also. Or it's just like, okay, so I had a missing limb, and I want to regrow it using lizard genes. That's all well and good. Everyone else should be a lizard person is a bit of a, like, leap yeah. to go. <laughs> that's a A to Z, not an A to B. It's so chaotic as well, because like, as far as I can tell, the gas makes the Pokemon savage, which, by the way, was a bit scary for kids, because that um, the, the big bulldog, the pink bulldog thing that's so cute, starts to bite the police chief, and I'm like, he could rip his throat out! I feel but, like it was less scary than it when it was done in Zootopia, though. The yeah. chase sequence with the panther in uh, Zootopia is way True. scarier than anything that happens in this movie. And honestly, I seen it. I saw it twice, and I don't remember any kids actually crying apart from when Pikachu was injured. Then that they they really bought that because they put they bring things down for that, which is why it's so delightful when the Bulbasaur's turn up and and just become this little ray of hope. I, I saw someone. Um, stick up on Twitter as soon as that first trailer dropped have you seen my perfect son and it's like a little pick of, of Bulbasaur and they just nailed him anyway. Bulbasaurs are the cutest things that have ever existed on this earth and I want 20 <laughs> the adoration that the Bulbasaurs got online to me was indicative that we've spent so long with these little guys and they've always been in this super stylized super simplistic rendering and now they don't feel boringly real like if you look at what realistic pokemon look like on google images it's a nightmare factory mewtwo is a four foot bipedal hairless egyptian sphinx cat it's disgusting but in detective pikachu the movie they strike that balance just the right midpoint between fantastical and realistic that they resemble the versions of themselves in our heads so let's go back to the villain's master plan. The R-gas gets released from the balloons. The Pokemons go feral and crazy, which makes them susceptible to the fusion prospect. And then Mewtwo uses his powers to fuse humans and Pokemons together. However, it's chaos down there. 
There's no telling that the person who own or, or, or who is the keeper of or trainer of or partner of that particular Pokemon is going to be in the closest proximity. Say you had a Poliwag who goes running off to do his spinny thing at someone else and then that someone else gets fused with the Poliwag, they're suddenly like, oh, I'm a Poliwag! There's also bugs. There's just, like, bugs yeah. walking around in the city. So, like, a handful of people just got turned into bugs on, yeah. like, telephone wires, and Almost. I don't know what your reaction is. Kakuna! Like, I just stuck there as a metapod. Like, just could somebody <laughs> give me some experience, please? Or Grimer. This is a city. There's probably some pollution. You might just end up as a Trubbish or a Grimer, a piece of garbage. <laughs> a literal sentient piece of garbage. Honestly, this doesn't really weaken the film, because he's supposed to be wrong, but this is maybe the most bonkers plot. I've ever oh, seen of any not, villain ever. It's worth pointing out yeah. this is not from the game. In the game <laughs> it isn't it is an entirely crime ring kind of this is a drug used to make your pokemon stronger so that you can use it to commit crimes and it's untraceable so like go hog wild there is a like secret auction on a fancy luxury cruise ship to sell the supply of this mm. chemical. That is like the culminating arc not and then they spray it all over the city to transfer people into Pokemon. It's more... And then they try to spray it all over the city so that they get a good news story mm. out of it. <laughs> ah, the Pokemon. I gotta get super strong, see? Help you with crimes. Also, also, Howard Clifford doesn't exist in the game. Of course. Roger Clifford does. Oh. Howard Clifford does not. <laughs> right. The other thing that I thought about was... What the hell happens to the actual Pokemon? Because if the humans... like. Harry is in the body of Pikachu. Pikachu went bye-bye. Pikachu is still in there, but Pikachu's in the sunken place. <laughs> now, sink into the floor. Yeah, that's probably right. Oh, no. Although this is a universe where psychic connections are canonically a thing. Like, you can read minds and there is some kind of borderline psychic connection between people and Pokemon. So mm -hmm. maybe there's, like, a collective underground sunken place and in enough time you could connect to other Pokemon souls with oh desperate screaming. Yeah. <laughs> like a, P <laughs> a, a, a Pokemon psychic metaverse or a Poke Quantum realm. Yeah, I mean, I'm basing this vaguely on there's a short before the first movie where Mewtwo is being grown in his tank and he is psychically communicating with the other clones being grown in the facility. Mm -hmm. But then all of them die really sadly while he's left alive. So it's not like a good situation to be in. When uh, Howard first started fusing people together, uh, I think I saw Sharon put her hand to her mouth. Because I think that was when you got it. That was when that I was when it. you realized that Harry was yeah. was Pikachu. Yeah. Um, what was it specifically? Was it a, a moment? It was something to do with Mewtwo fusing somebody. Yeah, and saying they shall be in the bodies of <laughs> yeah. Pokemon. And that was when together. it hit me that yeah. that must be what happened to Harry. Okay, so we'll come back to you in just a second. Uh, Mackenzie and Nathan, when did you figure it out? So I think I kind of wrecked this for both of us. I was trying to play the game before I got to the movie and mm -hmm. I got about halfway through and 
even though the end of the game is significantly less clear, it's a lot more telegraphed that the Pikachu is his dad. There's a lot of comments about, oh, it never used to drink coffee before, and oh, it never used to walk on two legs, and oh, it sure does act like your dad now. But it's not like confirmed at the end of the game. Which, on a side note, makes the game version of Tim a terrible detective. What are you talking about? Well, I hate to break it to you, Tim Tim, but you're an idiot. That's impossible. Oh, it's quite possible. The clues were all there. So I went in and I jokingly said to Nathan, I'm 90% sure in the game the Pikachu is his dad, but I don't think they'll do that in the movie. Dude, I, I hope think... you kept that down oh, like, in, in the cinema. Like, like, no, you... no, we were like at home when I okay, told cool, him cool. this. Wow. It was before we went to the theater. <laughs> and we went to the theater... Uh, and we sat down, and so I got to about the scene at the fountain when I was yeah. like, oh, God, they're going there. The fountain was where I, I, I figured it out. I was like, it would, I would hug you until, no, if, if, until uh, if your dad was here, he would hug you until your bones pop. I was like, oh, God, it's him. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God, that gives so many layers to the film. And I just loved the film at that point. I think mm-hmm. it works surprisingly well. As soon as that fountain scene hit, I was like, oh, God, they're going there. And mm. then I was... Basically, yeah, no, they're pulling this off. That's really hard, but I managed to pull off this adventure movie where secretly my dad was a Pikachu, and all the more props to them. That is not an easy storyline. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I mean, I think The Fountain was about the time that I got certain that they were doing that Mm. um, as well. And yeah, like it does create a really satisfying arc for both of those characters once you realize that Harry is Pikachu. Sure. This really got to you on an emotional level, and can you explain why without crying? It did, and it's it wasn't just the the Pikachu fusing with Harry element. It was the whole idea of humans and Pokemon being blended together, albeit that Clifford was doing it in a really this is not workable kind of way. Forcing it. Yeah. It did seem to be a culmination of what the ideological element of Rhyme City was in the first place, which, as you said at the beginning, is about the balance, is about the connection between humans and Pokemon. And basically, it had the same effect on me as the synthesis end of Mass Effect. <sighs> the, the concept of two very disparate, Species is not even the right word. Consciousnesses. Finding a way to combine in order to move forward, whereas previously they have always been in conflict, is something that hits me on a very, very deep level. I I can totally see why that would be effective. At its best, this combination between Pokemon and humans should be something like fusion in Steven Universe, where it's two people consenting to become something combined and something new together. And I think the partnership between Pokemon and humans is always supposed to kind of be like that in the franchise. The implication is that you become so in tune with one another that you can accomplish anything. And the reason it's so messed up that Howard is trying to shove people into Pokemon is that the Pokemon aren't themselves when it's happening. They aren't agreeing to it on any level. And why it's different... Yeah, and why it's different with Harry and his Pikachu is that Harry's Pikachu wants more than anything to save his friend and he wants them to be combined so that they both have a chance of continuing on instead of him not going on without his partner. Yeah. 
Pokemon can be overly convoluted at times. It can be kind of samey at times and repetitive. It's almost always very Japanese and mired in anime culture, which is great if you love it, less so if you find that difficult to get into. The predictable tropes of anime can be very grating and often present an insurmountable barrier to get to the goodness at the core. But the one thing I keep coming back to is the you teach me and I'll teach you element of Pokemon. That's a really good moral to teach kids. It really is. That you can be both. Yeah, and that things that you may not directly understand in the way you can understand someone talking to you still have things that are valuable to teach to you and you should be patient and try to learn from everything you can, even if it's not obvious what you can learn from it. And I was kind of surprised by the uh, the ending when uh, Pikachu turns back. I was expecting a full transformation scene and then like a uh, an almost tearful uh, reconciliation between father and son right there. But they actually don't do that. They it starts up with some light and then it cuts to the train station. You know, hey kid, and and Pikachu's foot, and then this crumpled, not sure what to say, graying, old nerdy. Just uh, not sure what to do, not even sure really how to be a dad because he hasn't had the practice. Ryan Reynolds comes out. And it it wasn't what I expected. And, and, and it ends up, like, in retrospect, especially with the second time, really measured uh, in terms of not delivering you the big uh, uh, reconnection and, and giving you more of a sort of a gradual starting back up again. I love that movies can be really personal even if coming from the least expected places like 20 year old anime franchises (laughs) this is one of the rare movies actually talking about the distance between a father and son that doesn't end really tragically in some way shape or form and that's a nice thing to see it's a good thing to be out there Something that makes that scene in particular uh, work as well as it does is that it's, in essence, an exact reversal of the earlier flashback where Tim is given this ticket from his father to join him in the city, and he turns away and doesn't accept that. And then in this final scene, we get the exact opposite, where he's being given this opportunity to leave his father behind... And he throws the ticket away and he stays instead. And he makes that decision both times, but at the end it's in the opposite direction. Rebalancing. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's more it's more human in a way that they don't get this perfect culminating moment where mm. everything is resolved, where they're both understandably a little bit unsure and awkward because what they went through was mm. absolutely insane. And they have talked a little bit about their issues, but not intentionally. And they still have some stuff to work out, but they're going to do that. And it's, I think, a really good moment where where Justice Smith's Tim just, like, turns around and doesn't get on that train Mm. and does take the effort to reconcile with his dad, which is hard for both of them but both what they want so it's it was a surprisingly touching moment and for some reason i didn't expect ryan reynolds to be the dad i don't know why it was just not in my brain when it happened so i laughed when it revealed his face which was not 
good, but I, I, I got over it very quickly. I don't think it's really possible to get across how Pikachu being Ryan Reynolds and Pikachu being Ryan Reynolds, how much of an impact that made on Lyra. Because she, unfortunately slash fortunately, because I'm the worst slash best dad in the world, have shown her Deadpool and Deadpool 2, and she adores Deadpool as played by Ryan Reynolds. I have forwarded through the sex scenes in the first Deadpool and through a couple of the really gross or grim bits in, uh, in both of them. And I sometimes have to cough violently over the foulest and most sexualized of language. But she loves that character and was never a particular fan of Ryan Reynolds before, but uh, that vulnerability we spoke of before is a good reason why. And his soft-spoken Canadian, in general, innate likability. Everyone, including me, hates the film Green Lantern, but I do like Ryan Reynolds in it. Yes, we are so proud to have Ryan Reynolds as one of our Canadians. It's It's been so exciting to have a Canadian actually matter. And that's why Regina rhymes with awesome. We're, we're from there. <laughs> that's where we met. That's where we have degrees from. Nathan has a degree in film from the University of Regina. Do you know how exciting that was being in Deadpool in the theaters in Regina, Saskatchewan? That I was do. insane. There was an audible cheer from the audience oh, when God. we went to see that in theaters at that line, which could only happen in that city. It was great. Yeah, Lyra seems very... Uh, well adjusted to more extreme material for her age so good job on mm. doing that so well she was in uh, she was crying at the end um, I think Sharon cried first mm. then Lyra <laughs> cried uh, and it was that what she referred to when she was very very young as happy sad she understood melancholy before she knew the word for it mm. but yeah no she, she was very satisfied with the ending and she didn't go I wanted him to carry on being Pikachu which is a mature way of looking at it because effectively you are losing something with that and you're also gaining something it's uh, it's a wonderful um, again correcting an imbalance yeah. but the the Pikachu who comes back even though he can't speak now you know because of the way the story's played out that this is that this Pikachu said to Mewtwo I will step back so that you can put Harry in here to keep him safe. Mm. So you know that that Pikachu has that love for Harry and that means that we can connect with him even though he can't speak. It's the same element of Pikachu stepping forward to save Ash in just about every Pokemon thing that I've seen. From the first episode to the first movie to everything. It is important that we see a little bit of the Pikachu just being the Pikachu before this happens. Yeah. We see it in that flashback to establish that, yes, this is still a normal Pikachu, but it is a Pikachu that cares so much about Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> so uh, what were your favorite details that we haven't mentioned? Mm, I mean, besides just all of the Pokemon, there's also a lot of production design stuff where it's Pokemon being referenced on signs and things which is really exciting from a just like watch and you'll blink and you'll miss kind of perspective the cafe that they go to when they have their conversation about Harry faking his death there's a sign outside a neon sign and worked into the logo is a Noctowl which is uh, a Pokemon from the games and that stuff is just all over the production design is like 
Pokemon and like names of Pokemon are worked into just the graphic design details of the world in a way that makes it seem like they put so much effort into building this out and making it feel alive. Oh, also the end credits where everybody's characters are drawn in the mm. style of the anime. I that just made me very happy. Yes, mm-hmm. but that they went full sci-fi neo-noir on it, mm. I think, was a really good decision. Mm. Uh, what you mentioned before, I never brought this up, I think we were talking about something else, uh, that it was shot on film. A lot of things that are shot digitally, the effects are finished in a different resolution, which is why sometimes when you watch something in 4K, uh, say uh, Mad Max Fury Road, looks absolutely magnificent in Blu-ray, but when you watch it in 4K, the flame effects, which were finished at a different resolution, kind of pop out of the screen and look slightly at odds, which means the 4K version of this is going to look magnificent. Mm. I cannot wait. <laughs> yep. I'm very excited to get my hands on a physical copy of this movie and watch all of the special features. It's going to yeah. be one of those speaking of, mm-hmm. speaking of the effects as well, thank you Nathan for pointing out that it was shot on film. I wasn't aware of that. It explains one of my favourite details, mm-hmm. which is such a tiny thing, but it's the scene where they're splashing through the river with the Bulbasaurs. Mm-hmm. The way all of those little Bulbasaurs interact with the water, the way their feet splash in and out and you get the right movement from the the stream and it just, it looked so perfect. It looked so real that for a brief moment, my brain was actually of the opinion that the Bulbasaurs were real, that they had found some somewhere and filmed them for this scene. The other thing for me is that there does seem to be a Pokemon, at least, from every generation, which they could have so easily made this entirely aimed at nostalgic audiences or entirely aimed at the new audiences and just cut things from the newer gens or from the older generations. And I like that they said, no, instead, this is going to be for everybody who's ever played one of these games. And if you look hard enough, there's something for everybody here. Hmm. And I really liked that. I liked that I could see a city where there are braviaries bringing people lunches next to squirtles using their water guns as fire equipment. And the games don't get to build this kind of a lived-in world very much, and it was really nice to see everything all together in the movie. Just to return to the whole dad thing, um, my own experience with my father involves me uh, feeling like I wasn't needed or wanted around him once he'd gotten his uh, own new family. And feeling like if I pulled away from him and ever got an indication that I actually was missed and was needed or wanted and that he did feel a great absence uh, from losing his son, then that would get to me. And it hasn't happened in Lyra's lifetime, like just under 10 years. No, just over 10 years, in fact. She's almost 11 now. So the card with the train ticket in it... Uh, It was like a javelin through the heart. And the end where Brian Reynolds comes out kind of all tied the whole thing together because, like I said, Lyra watches and loves Deadpool. And because I have a very whip-quick cutting sense of humor and kind of sound like Deadpool a lot when I talk to her, I'm less mean, but um, I'm very, very quick. And... She, it made me realize quite how much of a fatherly figure he strikes if I'm doing Deadpool. Or at least a softer, less abusive version of Deadpool. 
So for Ryan Reynolds to actually come out as the father at the end, to be able to see that with Lyra and for her to be in floods of happy, sad tears was a real experience for me, especially since she loves Pokemon as well and she can tie all of these things together at once. It's, I'm very grateful that this film exists and that it exists in this form. Because I learned a long time ago that if I wanted to find the good, decent father figure in my life, then I couldn't rely on this man. I couldn't rely on any other man. I had to look within. And that's why stories about fathers always get to me. Not because I had a bad one, but because I tried to be a better one for her. Now, I noticed that they deliberately left out all talk of gyms and championships, Ash and his team, Ekans, Meowth, and Team Rocket, and I suspect it's because they were saving those series mainstays for a second and a third movie, much like the similarly focused and personal Bumblebee went very light on the rest of the Autobots and Decepticons. Now, I'm guessing, because there aren't many well-known talking Pokémon, that Team Rocket are next on the slate. But... Who should play them? Let's go to the phones for this one. We asked you guys on Twitter for your casting suggestions using the hashtag SOMHandsUp. And you didn't disappoint. So I'll start then. Uh, Toby Jungius says, For James, either Donald Glover, with his ability to be both suave and hilarious, or a younger Hugh Grant with the enthusiastic exuberance of his performance from Paddington 2. God. <laughs> Hugh Grant as James. as lo- Yeah. <laughs> Or Thank Adam Grant is James, yes. Or Adam Driver. Nah, see, Adam Driver's way too cool mm. for school. <laughs> He's got comedic timing. If you dye his hair blue, he looks the part. I brought my own hair. He's not going to dye his hair blue. They'll give him a wig. For Jesse, Emily Blunt channeling some of her energy from Mary Poppins Returns, but replacing her air of undeniable authority with unearned assurance and adding a touch of franticness in stressful moments as she desperately pieces plans together as she goes. Ooh, or Zendaya. You know, she'd have a ton of fun and be delightful to watch. Not if you paired her up with Hugh Grant she won't <laughs> that would be a weird match Creeps although spell. I don't know if this comes up later but mm-hmm. uh, we discussed Zendaya and Zac Efron who have great chemistry yeah as we've established <laughs> the greatest showman yeah okay um uh Finally, from Meowth, honestly, given how much fun the out-of-left-field casting of Ryan Reynolds has been, uh, go for anyone. Make it nuts. Bizarro choices. But for my pick, either Jake Gyllenhaal putting on a thick Brooklyn accent, uh, or, bear with me here, Tessa Thompson? What? I've got no reason for this pick. It just floated into my head, and now I can't get rid of the idea. Sue me. I want to see Tessa Thompson in as much stuff as possible and genuinely think she'd be hilarious in the part. I can't argue with that. Tessa Thompson in absolutely everything is kind of one of my defaults. So yeah, (laughs) why not? I'd go there. Uh, The other thing about Tessa Thompson is Meowth is that the original voice voice for Meowth is a woman. So uh, they're a trans woman from Japan. I can't remember their name off the top or her name off the top of my head, but uh, so it's not a stretch, really. No. Okay. Uh, okay. So um, can you can you see Daniel Bucks just below uh, my Daniel awful Bucks. Sonic the Hedgehog picture? Yes. Because my my uh, joke answer was James Marsden in a blue wig, James Marsden in a magenta <laughs> wig, and Sonic the Hedgehog with cat ears. Uh, although Ben Schwartz wouldn't be the worst meow ever, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, be alright. Uh, 
for Daniel Buck was saying Elizabeth Banks for Jesse. Yes. Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro for James. And Andy Samberg for Meowth. Again, I'm yes. Hard agree on all of these. <laughs> that would be excellent. Although I do have the slight feeling that uh, Benicio and Elizabeth are a little bit old for the roles because Jesse and James are supposed to be like pathetic 16 year olds. Yeah, they're kids. So, yeah, I mean, you could maybe stretch to the mid 20s, but uh, I mean, yeah. like, it, it's our <laughs> casting. We can do anything. And like, it's Panto as well. So you could have ridiculously old people. I kind of like Hugh Grant for James, actually. James. That's great. Blasting <laughs> off again. Uh, I would I would like Hugh, Hugh Grant as like the head of of Team Rocket that Jesse and James report to to just explain why they're so terrible at their job. <laughs> that would work, yeah. Dan Buck says someone else for Meowth immediately afterwards. Yes. He says, scrap that. At Lin-Manuel Miranda for Meowth and I also hard agree. <laughs> Lin as Meowth would be fabulous. That would be fantastic. It would be a good job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next one is uh, by Oreo and he says, for Jesse, Michelle Pfeiffer for James Tom Hiddleston. There's an age gap. And for Meowth, Andy Circus in full performance capture. <laughs> His American accent is questionable, but I don't think that would be the only thing about him playing Meowth that would uh, uh, ruffle some feathers. I'd, lo- I'd still love to see Andy Circus <laughs> do anything Pokemon related. I'd love that. Just, oh, yeah. That's what would get Andy Circus his Oscar. It would be being Meowth. <laughs> uh, honestly, Tom Hiddleston as James. Yeah, I love that, That's too. That's an inspired choice. That is. I yeah. would strongly agree on that one. The only difference is that Michelle Pfeiffer would be his mum in this scenario. And that it gets weird. The dynamic is very strange. <laughs> I'm already having difficulty not thinking of them as uh, Jamie and Cersei Lannister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Andy Rodriguez suggests Jesse Aquafina. Lovely. James Ooh. Kumal Nanjiani. The big sick. Yeah, I can see that working. He's a very, very funny guy. <laughs> and as Meowth, Paul F. Tompkins. Mr. Peanut Butter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yes, I am a hardcore Paul F. Tompkins Meowth fan now. Matthew A. Siebert says it has to be casting that preserves that big gay energy and then trademark. I'm thinking Adam Lambert. I don't know. Who's that? Who's, who's Adam Lambert? He's a musician, primarily. I okay. can't remember which and group he's from. Janelle Monet. Yes. With George Takai mm-hmm. as Meowth. The problem is, I can't see Janelle Monet ever failing at anything. Mm. She is an angel sent from heaven to give us perfect music. So I don't know <laughs> how she can be Jesse. I'm sorry. She's just too wonderful. And some of these choices, they're just too cool and likable to be Jesse and James. <laughs> George Takai's mouth, though. Hardcore, yes. I love oh, the yes. idea of, like, a film that follows these ne'er-do-wells who are, like, constantly... Tr- like, they're criminals. They're trying to steal Pokemon. They're trying to do this and that. And at the end, you can have the end of Pokemon 2000... Wh- 2000! Where they go, let's be good guys. Just for a bit, <laughs> you know. And uh, even if they're the main prote- antagonist, but I still feel like there is enough there for a, a main movie about them. There really is, especially if you look at the anime. They both actually have, like, well, no, not just both. All three of them actually have, like, established pretty sad backstories that, like, give them enough leeway that them being criminals is, like, understandable. They're, like, sad teenagers from bad backgrounds who are doing questionable things, but they're finding their weird family together. And that's, like, the... 
I guess that would be how the movie would go, and I would watch the heck out of that. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Finnick. Go for it. Chris Finnick says, Tessa Thompson is Jesse. Yes. Chris Hemsworth is James. Also, yes. And for all of the people who wanted him cast as Pikachu, Danny DeVito. Hey, for I'm Meowth. <laughs> yes. Tessa and Chris have fantastic chemistry. Men in Black International is going to be fabulous. It keeps that gay energy in the sense of having it be strong by energy. Oh, yeah. Everything with those two actors has amazing bi energy in it. Danny DeVito is Danny DeVito, so you know, that's also good. Indeed. <laughs> so Name Chibiti suggests Ansel Elgort and Anna Sophia Robb. Robb can be loud and bossy, Elgort can be comfortable and effeminate. I'd also be curious to hear Gilbert Gottfried voice meow. Hey, I'm meow. That's a little bit inspired. I like this that. Is- this is my suggestion, and Mackenzie shot it down because she thinks that Gilbert Gottfried is too annoying. <laughs> Too annoying to be meow. But, but meow doesn't <laughs> have that said. much to say. So if you if you only give him a few lines, it could be one of those sort of. Oh no, meow's got a ton to oh, say. He, yeah, You've okay. not no meow's a chatterbox. Okay. Uh, also, like I love the idea of Danny DeVito. I think that would be a really great way for kids to just like. I mean, he's been in a whole bunch of Disney movies as, as Phil mm. and a whole bunch of other things. So and like kids can't really get with the penguin as a pervert. No. But uh, but I, as Meowth, that's endearing, and he is a charming fellow. If the kids are teenagers, he adds some much needed grown up to that. You know. Mm. Hmm. Uh, Meowth is kind of supposed to be a little bit smarter than both of them despite being a cat so that could work well okay so dan mayer says jesse anna kendrick yes james andy sandberg anything that gets andy sandberg into a pokemon movie and meowth bradley cooper the rocket raccoon voice is pretty much on point or possibly alex hirsch i'm going for alex hirsch over bradley cooper because we've seen bradley cooper do a little furry guy already Uh, i you know fantastically it would be like you know remember when ian mckellen played yorick bernison in the golden compass and you just heard Gandalf's voice mm-hmm. coming out of him. It's not the same as Deadpool's voice coming out of Pikachu for the kids, because they don't watch Deadpool, apart from my my very unusual daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this set here, and Alex Hirsch, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Alex Hirsch, creator of Gravity Falls. Voice of uh, uh, Grunkle Stan as well. Yes, Grunkle Stan. Yeah. Uh, oh, this I, this is a note that I forgot uh, to bring up earlier, but actually Alex Hirsch had his hands on the Detective Pikachu script a little bit very early in development, but he's like n- not enough of his stuff made it into the final version to, to have a credit on it. That is a shame because I would love to see him working in uh, Hollywood movies. He that is I think we've mentioned it a bit before, and we should frankly do our gravity, much-promised Gravity Falls, like two seasons, two shows. That's one of the best animated shows for it's kids so out there. It's so good. It's, it's, it's just two seasons, and it wraps itself up in a way that you wish there was more, but it's so satisfying at the end. Uh, it's Oh, if you will, it's, it's very much Twin Peaks for Dummies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That wasn't I, James. I, that was a guy with a whiskey glass swilling it around. Going, oh, you're silly little people. I mean, James would do that with like grape juice. So uh, we should probably head over to the Discord if there's anything. Yeah. There. Oh, that's a good time to mention our Discord server, folks, because we have not talked about it on the School of Movies uh, show yet. We now have a Discord server. You can check it out on our Twitter. It, the link should be up there at all times. I've pinned it. It should be easy to get hold of. If for some reason you can't find it, just ask me on Twitter and I will link you to the Discord. People are chatting on there right now about movies. And you're missing out, folks. Go do that now. Whilst oh. still listening to our show. 
So what would it be under? S O M hands up. There we go. Right. Oh, there's loads. Okay. Uh, Nathan, do you want this first one? Lano Dantheon says uh, it's tough to beat the suggestions that are already on Twitter, but they're going to suggest a Ronda Rousey as Jesse, Michael B. Jordan for James, and uh, Meowth Danny DeVito again. Again, clear choice. I like it. Not sure about Ronda Rousey as in terms of her yeah like, acting comedy chops. acting chops, but uh, like if you needed a Pokemon trainer who could beat the living hell out of anyone, I'm not sure you'd even need that because much like in Avatar, where they use magic rather than straight up fist on on face violence, they do all of the conflict with Pokemon in this. But uh, I'd still like to see Ronda Rousey in more big films, anyway. I feel like the set would actually almost be better for Butch and Cassidy, which are the uh, opposing Team Rocket teams that are actually competent. Ah, that's what that was about. Uh, so there is Jesse and James, and then there's Butch and Cassidy. And I think Butch and Cassidy would be fabulous as Ronda Rousey and Michael B. Jordan, honestly. Most of all, I want to see Ronda Rousey on the big screen in Mortal Kombat as Sonya Blade. Uh, Malaku Saitu says, I would love to see some Asian actors as Team Rocket, like bring Henry Golding and Constance Wu, and oh. Ryan Reynolds as Meowth. <laughs> Should probably be Hassan Minaj, but I kind of want Ryan Reynolds as all the speaking Pokemon. I can yeah, guarantee I can you, Ryan Reynolds will not be playing Meowth. <laughs> no. Um, honestly, I like the suggestion, but I would say Gemma Chan rather than Constance Wu, because ad- admittedly, all I know of, or most of what I know of both of them is from Crazy Rich Asians, mm. but Constance Wu is very. Oh, she could strut around. Around and look like and really friendly. Yeah, oh, sorry. I mean, Gemma, Gemma Chan and could Gemma strut Chan around being like that kind super of superior, nose in the yeah. air attitude that that Jesse exhibits. Yeah, love it though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Henry Golding just giving him a chance to play someone you know, a lot more camp. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that. I think the next up note is Richards. Uh, let's go with Vanessa Kirby for Jesse, Henry Golding for James, and yes, Danny DeVito for Meowth. Seems to be a Danny DeVito strong contingency in the mm-hmm. school of movies groups here. I think so. As much as I can guarantee Ryan Reynolds won't be playing Meowth, it seems like DeVito might kind of float in there. You know how um, Benedict Cumberbatch was like, well, he should really play Doctor Strange. It's kind of that osmosis Hollywood thing and it eventually happened. <laughs> Feels like... Uh, also, DeVito doesn't have to do much. He just goes to a recording booth and just does one of those voices again. He was approached for Detective Pikachu, but apparently did not know what Pokemon were, so he turned it down. So maybe now that he yeah, sees he can how watch. successful that movie was, yeah. he might want to get in on it. Watch it with his grandkids and go, I want to be a, a Meowth. Yeah, whatever you got. And it just happens that it's a character who is very similar to a lot of characters he's played. Yeah. <laughs> Karu Nagisa says, Jesse Emma Stone. Lovely. James Miles Teller. Not while I live. And Meowth Steve Buscemi. How do you do, fellow kids? The first two are debatable, but I will die on Meowth Hill. Jesse Ferguson got in with Jessica Chastain as Jesse. That's like a triple Jesse. And for James... And his name is John C- Splendid. Now that all our listeners have been deafened. And for Meowth Michael Sarah, I would dropkick that cat. Actually, he was really great as Lego Robin, so maybe. And finally, Kevin CV. Recommends okay. Kate McKinnon as Jesse. Yes. And Tom Hiddleston as James, with Paul Giamatti as Mio. Oh, come on, PG, you're playing a cat guy now. <laughs> I like this set. Kate McKinnon needs to be in more things, always. Kate and McKinnon forever. and Tom Hiddleston, you've got so much personality just there. Mm. The screen would oh. explode. 
Almost too much personality. Yeah. yeah. There is such a thing. <laughs> God, I no. love that so much. Yes. Okay. I think that's it. So that is it for the School of Movies hands up hashtag. If you see it turn up on Twitter, do not hesitate to chip in, folks. Once again, if you're at the $5 level, you can hear our quick review of Pokemon the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, guest starring Lyra Shaw. What happened once they got to the island? Once they got to the island, the freaky maid woman that never blinks and no one ever even suggests talking about that. No, 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 no. They get to the island, figure out, ah, oh, this Pokemon master is for some reason a Pokemon! Why? That's impossible! A Pokemon can't be a Pokemon master? No way! And coming up, we've got another quick review of Pokemon 2000 and Pokemon 3, colon the movie, colon entai, dash, spell of the unknown. But we've also got a quick review of John Wick, chapter 3, colon parabellum, guest starring Lauren Grieve again. And everyone at the $5 level can listen to those. If you're at the $15 level, you get sponsor credit every episode. So thank you to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Tyler Long, Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksch, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, I choose you, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. So where can people find your stuff, Mackenzie? Would you like to pitch Video Game, The Movie, The Podcast? There's more colons in there than a Pokemon animated movie. I, that was the point in the naming structure, nice. honestly. <laughs> What's it called uh, in Japan? <laughs> uh, I don't know enough Japanese to Magic Mountain Podcasting Godforce. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Video Game the Movie, the podcast, is the new podcast me and my fiancé Nathan here and our friend Lexi Conwell are doing, where we go through all of the video game movies that are out there. We're starting with the things that were released in North America in theaters for the most part and we will also be talking about movies that are video game adjacent so we're talking our Wreck-It Ralphs and our Jumanji's Into the Jungle our first episode is Super Mario Brothers the movie which is the first video game movie ever made and we're also going to have discussion about Detective Pikachu and we'll be talking about everything new coming out as it drops and we're really excited, and we've got... Uh, what's our Twitter handle for that again, hon? Uh, our Twitter for that is VGTMPodcast at Twitter. And Nathan, would you like to tell us about Rainbow Connection? Yes, the Rainbow Connection is a podcast that Mackenzie and myself do, where we talk about the Muppets and other media made by Jim Henson or with contributions from the Jim Henson Company. Uh, we have uh, about seven episodes out already, ranging from some of the Christmas specials to the early TV stuff before the Muppets were a thing. And you can find those on Apple Podcasts and basically anywhere else. And the Twitter for that is at MuppetsPod on Twitter. 
That is the rainbow connection. Thank you both so much for coming on our show. And we will be back next week with a quartet of King Kong films to celebrate the new release of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, because you know the biggest ape you ever did see is going to be coming next. And we are also opening up the window for commissions for the month of July. We will be doing four shows and only four shows. They will be on movies and they will be the standard fee of $150. So come to us with your personal choices and we will choose the four that we think will make the best, most compelling episodes for everyone. So let those requests start pouring in and we shall see. In the meantime, I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And it it looks looks like School of of Movies movies is is blasting off again. again. My real test to train them is my call.